Welcome back, listeners, to another episode of The New Standard. And as always, I have my partner in crime to my left, Neil Kulong. And Neil, you know, I'm feeling great this morning. You know why? I don't, specifically, if you're asking. I'm immunized. <laughs> well, good. That's good. That's good. Um, we know your presence on this show depends entirely upon you being immunized. So Yes. So I'm feeling fantastic because I'll be able to perform today because I'm immunized. But with that, You're so clever, Lance. You pull yes. you pull the wool over everybody's eyes. Yes, I great. did. Yes, I did. And what a week. God, like my like my fellow immunized player, we are both cow men. So we are <laughs> okay. both immunized. We're partners in immunization. We're cow me, bears and immunized. You told me off air here that uh, I was going to laugh at the first thing that you said. I definitely did. I, I was expecting some type of, of uh, cow-based retort. I'm not that- sure how well this is doing for you. But you know what? As an NDSU guy, Carson Wentz didn't get vaccinated either. I don't know what Trey Lance has done or Easton Stick or – we have way more quarterbacks in the NFL than you do, Lance. What, how does that we happen? Do. We have, but we have, we have, um, we have the floor and we have the ceiling. The ceiling is Rodgers, and the <laughs> floor is uh, that guy in Detroit. <laughs> so <laughs> we have the ceiling and we have the I, floor. I'm not gonna lie; I totally forgot that that guy from Detroit, or that guy in Detroit, went to Cal. <clears throat> Just forget about him. Don't worry about yeah. him. I'm, I'm not going to bring that up till next week. Yeah, Jared Goff. Side note: Jared Goff's a good guy. I met him several times. Yeah, um, we're, you know, we're doing some booster stuff. Yeah, he's he he's a good guy. Um, you know, he's like many players. Before we jump into the show in the National Football League, that you need you need the pieces need to be right around him for him to have success. So he's no different than anybody else. But welcome everybody on the live chat to the show. Want to thank you for hopping on this morning. Very early for me. So I know it's very early for you. Want to give a big shout out to the sponsor of the show, High Bar Apparel. Big up to him. Big up to Steven Johnson, my cousin. Make sure you guys go to High Barrel, High Bar, excuse me, apparel.com and support him in his merch, hats, shirts, hoodies, all that good stuff for the holiday season. If you want to participate in the show, make sure you give us a like and a subscribe on YouTube. Also, the show is available on all popular platforms, podcast platforms. Uh, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, etc. You can find us and my beautiful mug everywhere. First thing I want to do when we we jump into the show, I want to jump into the Melvin Ingram trade. And I I, want to jump into a quote from Mike Tomlin before we break down the trade. And and I love how Tomlin frames things. You know, some people don't like, uh, you know, the Tomlin-isms, but the one where he's talking about you know, we're looking for volunteers and not hostages. I, I think that's perfect. I think he also, I'm going to paraphrase from him, he also talked about how they were satisfied with the development of Highsmith. See, I corrected myself. I didn't say Hightower. <laughs> you got it right this week. I'm, I'm right. sharp. Hard. Off to a great start. So, so let's say, let's see if I can say the other word, Harbinger. <laughs> I'm two for two, baby. The Steelers draft a guy named Harbinger. I'm going to die. <laughs> Alonzo Harbinger. Well, they have a guy <laughs> named. Well, they have a they have a guy named Taco. Uh, you know, but I'm going to call him Burrito Mitchell. That's just I, I like Burrito Mitchell better than Taco Charlton. So I'm I'm going to refer to him as BM Burrito Mitchell. Um, <laughs> so 
he says he likes the development of Hightower. Um, he also had a paraphrasing a quote where, you know, he kind of criticized free agency about how this all worked out, why they like to stress building guys through the draft and how free agency is kind of a crapshoot, a roll of the dice. Uh, before we break down your thoughts, before you give me your thoughts on the Ingram trade, what was the compensation for the trade? And then give me your thoughts about the trade itself. Compensation was a conditional sixth round pick. We don't know what those conditions are um, as it sits, but you can almost guarantee that it's it snaps. Um, really, it, it's just a way for Kansas City to protect themselves, considering that Ingram uh, did miss the last game with injury. It, it's usually something that's thrown in on deadline trades just to make sure uh, a team that, that's giving up assets in the middle of the season for a player is going to be able to get something from the player uh, during the season. I wouldn't worry about that a whole lot. And call it a sixth round pick. That is probably about what you would expect to get. Uh, maybe a little bit higher. I kind of thought it'd be a late seven, um, maybe even in, in a, a future year. The fact that they got a sixth in the coming draft, I think is is good. You really, you know, Melvin Ingram is not Vaughn Miller. You're not pulling in serious capital in the middle of the season uh, to acquire a player uh, of his caliber. He's a good player. He's not Vaughn Miller. So with that, um, especially too, considering Denver is uh, paying Vaughn Miller's salary <laughs> and that the Rams aren't, um, it, it makes more sense that he went for a lot more draft capital than Ingram did. Uh, I don't know the details on what Kansas City would be paying of Ingram's salary, but uh, I know that the Steelers most often, um, in fact, we could probably say this always, pay signing bonuses out in the year that they're given in game installments. So if his signing bonus was, say, um, you're going to call me on math at this point in the morning, this is stupid, but say that it was $16 million, or at $17 million, he would get $1 million per game uh, throughout the season. That's how they pay it. They don't pay in a lump sum. So that money is still active uh, for the Chiefs to pay. Uh, sometimes the negotiation will go into um, what the, the new team is going to pick up of that. I would imagine Kansas City is taking all of it. That's why the pick isn't very high. Um, they're going to pay him the rest of the way. The Steelers are going to get a pick in 2022. And, um, you know, volunteers, not hostages. I, I want to say, you know, give a give a big shout out to all of our volunteers watching in this morning. You guys are not hostages. We appreciate that. It's more the idea that if a player doesn't want to be on a team, a coach doesn't want the player on the team either. And I, I like that mentality. I think that's the right way to go uh, for the long term. It, it's telling everybody, look, if you want to be here, don't be here. But if you're here, you're going to fall in line. You're going to do things the way this team does things. Melvin Ingram, in my opinion, I, I think he signed a one-year deal with the idea in mind of getting traded simply because he doesn't have any security beyond this season. The main reason he doesn't is because he was hurt and he signed in July or August. I forget. I think it was late July. He signed right before camp. So his idea was I'm going to show everybody that I'm healthy. And when I am, I can go somewhere who will give me a long-term deal. The Steelers are not going to give him a long-term deal. I think everybody knows that. So uh, it, it puts him in a position to get more snaps somewhere else than he probably would have had in Pittsburgh. Not that he never would have played, but not as many as, as he would have liked in his effort to maximize uh, his his value in free agency next year. I think that's pretty – I don't like that. I don't like Mike Tomlin likes that. I don't think you're going to see the Steelers sign a guy – uh, at his level to a one-year contract ever again. I think that's over in, in Pittsburgh because of this. It's nonsense that they have to get held hostage, essentially, by a, a role player on their team because he wants to, to boost his value long-term. I don't blame him for that, but it's still 
kind of a bunk move. But uh, that's life in the National Football League sometimes. Let me give you a real world analogy, listeners. It's like when you're looking for a job, you're out of work, you're looking for a job, and you take a job that you know you don't want because you need to get paid, and it's easier to look for a job while you're getting paid for a job. So I understand exactly what Ingram did, but I I like what Mike Tomlin said about Highsmith, and I I think the releasing of Ingram in part also suggests that Highsmith is playing good football. And I think if you look at the tape and you review and look at game pass and look at the tape, I think Highsmith is playing better football than Ingram. Um, I think Ingram, of course, started with a splash in Buffalo, but I think this bodes well for the development of the third-round draft pick in Highsmith. What's your thoughts on Highsmith, how Highsmith's play impacted the trade, and what do you think about his development so far? I think uh, Highsmith played the two best games of his career in back-to-back weeks leading into the trade deadline. So in that regard, I can see why um, a player like Ingram would kind of look at this in, in the short term and say, my snap counts have nowhere to go but down unless a guy gets hurt, and I can't control that. But the, the key thing to remember here is the trade deadline is a final act, okay? It, it's not quite the middle of the season, but it's pretty close to it. And he, he can't do anything beyond this. So this was the time he had to act if he was going to act. Highsmith's play, I think, you know, kind of feeds into it. But you look at their snap counts when all three outside linebackers were healthy. Between Ingram, Highsmith, and Watt, High, uh, uh, Ingram was the odd man out of that. And I, I think it stands to reason that he was probably signed to be the third guy. And he knew that when he signed. Highsmith was the developmental project the Steelers wanted to have on the field for the sake of his development because he's the cheap option. Ingram was not coming back next year. We all knew that. Everybody should have known that, up to and including Melvin Ingram. So top to bottom, I think they want Highsmith to be uh, the man on that side. They want him to take the bulk of the snaps. I think there's still a role for Melvin Ingram, Lance. This is something we've talked about since he signed this offseason, that the role that he has is not purely just as the, the rushing outside linebacker. He can play inside. They have packages we saw uh, early on in the season where all three of them were on the field. There, there was value. He had utility value uh, within this team to be able to play. So uh, the fact he didn't want to do that or he found a situation, I'm not even sure how much better it's going to be for him in Kansas City, to be honest with you. Not a good defense. They're struggling right now. I don't know if he's really helping himself with this move. But um, the, the the bottom line is Highsmith is playing well. Watt is Watt, and he's going to continue to play well. They, once again, don't have great depth at that position outside of Bison, Derek Tuska, and something called Taco Charlton, who's not – his historical Mitchell. legacy is the guy that the Cowboys took over T.J. Watt. So I, I, they don't have the depth that they had before. I think it hurts the team. It helps Highsmith in his development because Highsmith is looking like a really good player right now, and that, that's a very positive thing for the Steelers to have a guy on the cheap for another two years beyond this one uh, playing at the level that he's at. Ingram, I don't, I don't think he gets in the way of that development. Um, they're already not playing. They didn't want to play either of those guys, you know, 90% of the snaps. They, they hadn't been. It's not what they want out of everything. So it, it does hurt the team a bit. I think Highsmith's development is is pointed up either way, and that, that's, that's one value to this. He doesn't have a veteran um, breathing down his neck. He doesn't have a veteran – uh, making comments, you know, uh, uh, unnamed through his agent to the media that, you know, the veteran's better than the kid that's in there now. 
all that goes away. I think that that's, that's a good thing for him. And it's definitely going to be a good thing for the Steelers defense to have him out there, but you, you hope for health. Like you do every position, every yeah. week, every game, you hope for health. Yeah. I, I think um, the one thing you said that I, that I pulled from your comments is that the one thing we don't know from the outside looking in is we just don't know what the initial conversation between the Steelers and Ingram and his representation was. We don't know what the expectation was. It could be very well, like you said, the expectation was he was a backup. He came in and he wasn't satisfied with that. And he kind of, he kind of reneged on, on, on what the thought was going to be. Um, I would imagine you're right because, you know, he's a third round draft pick. He's a player that they want to develop and they value your, your depth piece. You're, but, but you're just a name. So I, to, just to put a lid on that, unfortunately it did not work out. The, the, the splash was there in the first game against Buffalo, but let's shift to the injury report. Any updates on Boswell? I think that's the significant injury going into the Monday night game against the bears. Is he uh, slated to play? I've read some favorable things. What, what are you hearing? He's in concussion protocol. That's really all they update. You don't know what status is exactly. What we do know is uh, the Steelers signed veteran kicker Josh Lambeau to their practice squad. What that essentially means is he comes into the practice squad on a cheap contract. Um, he clears COVID protocol, and he's able to practice with the team. And they'll, they'll uh, wait and see what's going to happen with Boswell. He has to clear protocol in order to be active. I would imagine – um, I don't know. They, they may release Lambo off the practice squad or they may keep him on the practice squad uh, for next week as well. But if Boswell is cleared, he's going to play. I don't think there's any question about that. Um, we didn't hear anything beyond the concussion, though. So it, it, if, if nothing else, we don't anticipate there's any type of injury that might uh, cause Boswell to miss this game uh, Monday against Chicago. So that's a positive thing uh, for the Steelers in regards to what they'll have at kicker at kicker. Uh, fun fact about Josh Lambeau. He is technically the third most accurate kicker in NFL history over a certain amount of attempts behind um, shoot. Who is it? I knew I was going to forget this. Um, Harbinger. It's Harbinger. Yes. Uh, Justin Tucker is the first one. The second one he kicks currently. I forget who it is though, but uh, Lambeau is third all time. It goes to show that accuracy is not everything. Um, it, it's, it's more directional in the NFL. Um, for whatever reason, again, Jacksonville didn't want him. The last time Jacksonville didn't want a kicker, the trade, the Steelers oddly traded a sixth round pick uh, to acquire Josh Scobie. And that did not work out particularly well. So, um, you're hoping Boswell can get in there, but I think they're in good hands. If uh, Lambo is the guy that they need to use, you might remember uh, Matthew Wright, the kicker that they used last season um, in replacement of Boswell, is kicking with the Jacksonville Jaguars. He's a guy who hit 250 yarders in London to, to give the Jaguars their first win of the season. So um, a lot of odd circular things going on between kickers and uh, the, the, the Steelers and the Jaguars. But um, it, overall, injuries coming off uh, where they were, it, it's, it uh, doesn't seem to be much of an issue for them. Uh, the Steelers are a relative healthy team, all things considered, for this time of the year. Um, if we want to get into to Stefan Tuitt yet again, we can do that. Uh, it's the same thing. And as we've said, it's going to continue to be the same thing um, probably for a while. We, we aren't going to get a very specific uh, update as far as what his issue is and where he needs to be. But I would imagine um, he's working to get back into shape, which is tough to do when you're not practicing. Uh, I, I'm not sure what else they're really going to be able to do um, in that regard, except 
just wait and see. And they're, they're, uh, you know, credit to Chris warmly. I think he's playing very well. Um, oddly enough, uh, Cam Hayward is speaking to the media right now. And he just happened to say that, uh, he's optimistic that Stefan Tuitt will join the team at some point this season. So once again, um, no real update <laughs> that doesn't really provide us anything. Um, injury wise, they're looking good against a, a team. They really, uh, really should be able to beat. Please excuse my flub on this cliche uh, when I probably get it wrong. Uh, I guess what two it hope springs eternal. Is that the correct cliche? Uh could be. Yes. I think yes. that's One good. Of many I, you know, I think we can use here. You know, I, I you know, I am, I am cliche uh, challenged uh, before we jump into uh, your Neil's number to recap the Browns game. Uh, were you surprised that Eric Ebron didn't get traded? And by the way, I was surprised uh, they didn't get an eighth-round pick for Melvin Ingram at this point. Um, were you surprised that uh, Eric Ebron uh, is still in the roster and wasn't traded? I'm not. You know, I don't think there's any value for Eric Ebron in the league. I think that's just one of those moves where um, you know he's being phased out of the offense and he's just not going to be a Steeler next year, and he's a depth piece. Uh, are you surprised he's still a Steeler? I am. I am not. Okay, I think there are two parts to this question. One, uh, are you surprised he was traded? No, I don't think anybody is giving up assets for Eric Ebron right now. Um, and Eric Dur Ebron, Doritos, cool. Ranch. Eric Ebron is mostly at fault for that. He's not. Uh, he's not a strong all-around player, and that kind of hurts his overall value when it seems he's declining as a receiver. So, um, oh, yeah, he doesn't have much game. And I think everyone's going to look at the fact that a rookie taken in the second round is outperforming him by leaps and bounds, along with uh, a guy in his fourth year now taken in the fifth round who played quarterback in college is now outperforming him. You put that together. What do we want Ebron and his combined salary? That's well more than twice as much as, as the two guys I just mentioned closer to three times as much. They're not going to want to pick up his contract the rest of the way. So um, I don't think anybody would have given up assets for him. At the same time, if anybody else wanted him, he would have done what Melvin Ingram did. He would have asked for, you know, to, to move in some way, ask for a trade. And if it doesn't work out, cut him. I said Melvin Ingram. I meant Deshaun Jackson. Deshaun Jackson, the Rams, didn't like his role in the team. They tried to trade him. It didn't work. Uh, when the trade deadline passed, they cut him. Steelers have not, as of now anyway, have not cut Ebron. So to some degree, they feel like there's a role for him. Although I, I don't think that's going to be the case. I don't think you're going to see Ebron a whole lot uh, the rest of the way. A time or two here and there, but nothing uh, substantial. I would guess usually what happens is teams can grant permission to a player, which really means his representation. So it, it, an agent can go ask the general manager, can I go look around for a trade? Uh, the general manager says yes. He goes and talks to teams about a trade. In that conversation, it's like, well, we don't want to give up anything for him, but we'd sign him if he was a free agent. You know, we're, we're not going to pick up his contract. So if he clears waivers, we'd sign him as a free agent at that point. I think they explored that option as well and still didn't have interest. <laughs> Otherwise, I wow. think he'd be cut. So um, the fact that they have not cut him as of now, which I'm not saying, you know, can't happen. Uh, the Steelers tend to be, let's wait and see this week, kind of look at the matchups that we have. If this is a move we want to make, we'll make it. They, they tend to be more later in the week transactional than earlier. So um, we'll wait and see if, if anything on that in that regard happens. But I don't think that it will. I think Ebron's going to stay where he is. Um, he was never coming back next year anyway. I was kind of surprised uh, he stuck around this year. And that was almost entirely because they had a, a, a very, very shallow tight end group. 
and it wasn't very good. They, they were kind of stuck with Ebron's salary. Um, they had to give him kind of a faux extension in order to, to kind of help supplant the cap for this season. And they'll pay for that next year as well. So it, it's a, uh, I, I don't think it's it's so much the Steelers' choice that they couldn't get rid of him. I think that was just more the market isn't into him at all. I thought Green Bay might want a, a tight end. I thought they might look into that, but they haven't. So we'll uh, we'll have to wait and see, Lance. So before we get your number to recap the Browns game, I just wanted to mention, listeners, uh, please like and subscribe to the show. And there's been three mentions of Cal football players on this podcast. Go Bears. Aaron Rodgers, Jared Goff, and Deshaun Jackson, who, by the way, played with Aaron Rodgers and Marshawn Lynch at Cal at the same time. And we lost 70 years ago, you know, and we lost to USC in the Coliseum against the Matt Leinart, Reggie Bush team when we had the ball eight plays inside the 10 yard line and could not score. Aaron Rodgers and, and my disdain for Aaron Rodgers started at that particular moment, Butte football. And it continued when he said that over and over on Monday Night Football. But, Neil, what's your number? Give me a nice little neat number to recap uh, the Browns game. Nice and neat in a cluster. 16-61, 3.8. That is what the Steelers' defense held, in my opinion, the best overall running back in the NFL, Nick Chubb, to on Sunday in a game that the Browns absolutely had to get the, the run game working, considering the injury status of their quarterback. They failed immensely to do that. They held Chubb. He had one 21-yard run uh, because he's a stud, but that's the only one that he had that, that uh, merited it much of anything. So it really what you're looking at is 15 for 50. They shut down one of the best – uh, running games, I think probably second only to Baltimore in the NFL as far as their scheme and what they can do with it, the depth that they have. They did an excellent job of of taking him completely out of the game and making Mayfield win it for him. And Mayfield didn't play great. He didn't play terribly. It was enough for them to to hold what should be a good offensive team to 10 points. At the same time, you lost Jack Conklin, probably the best run blocking right tackle in the league uh, fairly early on in the game. That was that's tough to, to overcome uh, as you're going, but a phenomenal job by the Steelers defense in review. They were gap sound. They they played their best game overall, in my opinion, up front. The non Cam Hayward, who's been at an All Pro level every game this season, the non Cam Hayward players did a fantastic job in this, and the result of it was really the key to, to success in this game. Pittsburgh did not play well offensively. That was not a good offensive game, kicker or otherwise. They didn't put up points. They didn't move the ball consistently. They did good things. We're happy about that. It wasn't explosive at all. And they needed the defense to shut down a, a, a dynamic, diverse, and explosive offense in their stadium. That That's a huge accomplishment. They should be very excited about that. And I, I think Chubb's line uh, in rushing, the 16-61, 3.8, goes to show uh, overall the, the total result of that. Let me give you a number of the number, and the synergy between us today is just fantastic because my number is around rushing defense as well, and I want to thank Brian Baldinger for coming up with this number. I saw it on his Twitter feed. It's 11 of 17. They held Chubb to two yards a carry or less on 11 of 17 of his rushes, and I think it's great going into this game against the Chicago Bears, I think where – uh, playing run defense is going to be essential. You get two run-heavy games back-to-back. I'm sure some of the preparation uh, that they put in for the Browns 
will, will, will come off and be telling in the performance against the Browns. What's the name of uh, uh, what's the other name of the offensive lineman for the Browns? Is it Wyatt Teller? Is that another name for the Browns? Uh, the, the center, yes. There, there, there was a play. Uh, there was a play um, in the game. Yeah, Wyatt Teller, right guard. Yes. Yeah, guard. Sorry. Where Schreiner um, is the center? Where and speaking of Cam Hayward, you know, because he was, uh, you know, in the press conference you were watching at the time, and you just made comments about him. He, well, again, let's just say this: he's playing fantastic football. I mean, he's just right now he's the best interior lineman in football, right? So he, there was a play where he single-handedly he hit. Wyatt Teller with a mini hump move. And if you guys aren't familiar with the hump move, go to YouTube, type Reggie. in the hump move. And you'll <laughs> That's see, you just say H-U-M-P. Just say hump move. Hump move. Like Humpty Hump from Digital Underground, R.I.P. to Shock G. Hump, the <laughs> hump move. He hit Wyatt Teller with a mini hump move. And it, sw- it, it felt like he crashed the entire offensive line like a stack of dominoes. And they all fell in the direction of which he hit Teller, and he just absolutely destroyed and blew up the play. Again, Cam Hayward is playing fantastic football. But let's segue into a breakdown of Monday Night Football, the Bears game where the Steelers will be competing against the Chicago Bears on Monday night. You know, just looking at the Bears offense and looking at the Bears overall, you know, they're not a good football team. I think that's easy to say um in, in my opinion when I look at this game and I wrote out a little acronym this is a a pass rush game uh this is a a, a run game uh and this is a pass protection game um I, I think whatever team does those two things the best will win this game because I think when you look at both of these teams they're bad offensively and I and I disagree with double H that it's a trap game and the reason why I disagreed that it's a trap game trap is game because <laughs> when you score 18 <laughs> points a game, all games are trap games. Yep. You don't exactly. have you don't have margin for error from a points perspective. And the reason why I say it's a P, a points game, is because there was a question on Twitter, and I was going back and forth, unfortunately, with someone on Twitter. And I think the question was, what's the best way to uh, beat a rookie quarterback. And, you know, in my Manchester, you know, smart alley Manchester way, I said score points. You know, if, if you score a bunch of points against a team, you know, that's tougher than ever against a rookie quarterback. Rookie quarterbacks, you know, they don't string together consecutive plays of good football. They're inconsistent. You score a lot of points. You put a ton of pressure on a rookie quarterback. You, you, you know, you force a rookie quarterback to throw the ball a lot, plays right into what you want to do. You can get after him, and you can make him very uncomfortable. So I think this is a game in which if the Steelers can start out fast, it's critical. But again, when you look at both of these teams and their offenses, they're both inconsistent. The Bears run it better than the Steelers. The Steelers want to try to run. Both teams aren't explosive. So this is going to be a very tight, hotly contested game. Let me give you a couple of numbers, listeners. In terms of the Bears, I think their strength is running the football. They don't score a ton of points. They're averaging 15.4 per game. Justin Fields is showing some flashes. I thought he played relatively well against the 49ers. 
but it's a work in progress. But when you look at their team, they are running it well. They're averaging 136.6 per game. They're averaging, which is 15th, 4.6 yards per carry, and they run it 30 times. And they have two quality running backs. They have Khalil Herbert and David Montgomery, who are both averaging above 4.3 yards per carry. So I, I think when you go into this game from a defensive perspective, and, and let's look at the Steelers' defense against their offense, I think first and foremost, you have to stop the run. In terms of, and you've got to get pressure on Justin Fields, they're giving up 3.8 sacks per game. A lot of that, I think, is due to Justin Fields uh, getting out of the pocket and getting flushed really early and giving up on some stuff. But I think you have to get to Justin Fields, you have to rush him smartly, and you have to tackle him. This is a guy in which you need to tackle. He's a big physical guy. And he, and he will hurt you if you can't tackle him and get him to the ground. Uh, so I think when you're looking at the Steelers' defense against this Bears' offense, you've got to stop the run and you've got to get pressure on fields. What's your thoughts in this breakdown? And how do the Steelers' defense match up against this Bears' offense? What you hate about the rookie quarterback is they're scheming to stay away from everything that you just said. What they want to do is establish the run so they can gain yards and set their quarterback up. That's something the Steelers have struggled with, um, not on a game-to-game basis, but they've run into that that challenge before. Fields, um, the best way to describe him from what I saw is he's absolutely fearless in the pocket. He's fearless or he's clueless, one of the two, but those two things might be the same. I mean, he, he, give, he takes an inordinate amount of sacks for how athletic he is, for how quick he, as he is on his feet. I think there's something going on as far as how they're coaching him uh, to stay in the pocket, don't let him run, and that's kind of freezing him in place. He's having a tough time surviving uh, pressure without being able to, to utilize, um, you know, the, the way that he's escaped the pocket his entire career, which is to run. You know, there's a difference between moving and running. He, he is a mobile quarterback. He can make plays out on the edge. I don't think they want him to do that a whole lot. They've only called like five design runs for him uh, so far at this point in, in his career. That seems less than ideal um, for the type of offense that they're running and for the type of runner that he is. They're able to run the ball. They're, they're a decent running football team. That's why they probably have three wins this season when they don't really, you know, they, they, they probably shouldn't have three wins. They're able to run the ball and they can rush the passer. I agree with you in that regard. That creates a, a difficult environment for a, a defense to have to defend. I mean, there, there are a lot of different things um, the Bears are going to be able to do to overcome their lack of vertical passing. They're really – Fields is not a very good downfield passer right now. Uh, he's a young player. Um, I'm not trying to rip the guy to death or anything like that. I just think that there, there's an inordinate amount of criticism that's given to the head coach when the popular rookie quarterback gets on the field and isn't any good. You cannot objectively tell me that Justin Fields is a good quarterback. You just can't, okay? It, it, it's impossible. I like Justin Fields. He was a player I, I hoped on, you know, hope beyond hope that Steelers would have been able to figure out a way to get in the draft this past year. I like his future a whole lot. He's not playing well. A lot of that is on him. It's not all on the coaching. A lot of that is on him. The coach didn't throw seven interceptions. The coach isn't taking five sacks a game. So for Pittsburgh, they're going to be able to run the ball to some success, and the Steelers are going to aim to take away their run the way that they do. The question is, can they get two fields and pressure him? To your point, that's how you screw up a rookie quarterback. You, you give him bizarre coverage that he can't figure out. 
and freeze him mentally, keep him in place for a half a second longer and reap the benefits of sacks, tipped passes, batted passes, and eventually turnovers. That's what Pittsburgh needs to do. And ironically, it's exactly what they have not done in their previous three games against Chicago, all of which they lost, uh, being favorites in those games. So I, I would worry about this less as a trap and more Chicago is, is built to beat a team that stops the run probably better than it, it rushes the quarterback at this point in the season, simply because that's really what you need to do. If you want to mess a rookie quarterback up, you've got to get in his face. You can't let them have any success running the ball. You need to create third and longs. Um, this goes to what Romo was saying before the game against the Browns. Pittsburgh needs to win the early downs. And that means stopping the run. When you stop the run, force the quarterback to throw down the field, if you don't have a great quarterback, if you don't have great offensive weapons, which the Bears don't have either of those things, you're going to have success. You're going to, to, to force the punt. You're going to get takeaways. These are good things. Now, Pittsburgh has not been a great takeaway defense up to this point, but their coverage has been good. I, I thought the coverage did a great job um, on, on Sunday. In fact, I was surprised that, that Mayfield didn't throw an interception. You know, Credit to him for throwing 30 times, um, it, it, many of which in, in long down situations, and not having turned the ball over at all. So they, they need to, to replicate a lot of that uh, against a quarterback that, that should be um, worse off if they can keep him in the pocket. And the Steelers also, you, you, I'm sure everyone knows this, they rush from the edge to contain mobile quarterbacks within the pocket. They don't rush to, to put them on the ground necessarily. You want to squeeze them in. What that means is you stay disciplined and you use the offensive lineman kind of as a shield uh, to, to push back into the quarterback force him further back in the pocket, not wide where he can get out on the edge and make a play. You really can't throw a moving backwards in the NFL. Nobody's arm is that strong. So the, the, the more that they try to pressure the pocket as opposed to the quarterback, the stronger they're going to be. That's going to be the same type of strategy that they employ this week. Here's one thing that concerns me with this defense against uh, particularly Justin Fields tackling. There was a huge tackling issue in a couple of games earlier this year. I, I could see a couple of instances where they struggle in that regard when they do exactly what you say. They get upfield. They don't get past Justin Fields. They funnel him in. Somehow he breaks contain. I, I'm concerned about the tackling aspect because um, he is a big physical player. He's physical on the outside when he runs. What's your level of concern about if they execute the game plan properly, they meaning the Steelers, and, and, and rush like they want, do you think they can get him to the ground? Do you think tackling will be an issue? I think from what we have seen, it's not overly difficult to put Justin Fields on the ground. And I say that because he gets sacked on a, a pretty high percentage of his passes. I mean, they're, they're, they're giving up pressure. He's taking sacks. There are a lot of things that are not working uh, overall in, in the Bears passing game. But eight games played, he's taken 26 sacks, all right? So three a game, a little above three a game. That's a lot uh, consistently overall. And it's not simply because they've gone against, you know, monsters uh, each and every week in, in the pass rushing game. So it, Fields is not reading the field as quickly as he needs to. And he's not getting rid of the ball. He keeps it, I think, because he's a big, strong kid. He's mobile. He's fast. He's trying to figure out how to stay in the pocket and keep his eyes down the field. You hope that that extends for another week. He's eventually going to get it. Um, you get the sneaking suspicion, considering his talent level. He's going to put a good game together here uh, eventually. And if he does that, then, then Pittsburgh could be in trouble for sure. 
Um, they're, you know, we're, we're excited about them. We like what we're seeing with where they're going. They're not, Pittsburgh is not a great offensive team. They need to win this game on defense. And doing that is going to be making sure Justin Fields doesn't figure out the NFL uh, against them more than anything else. Let me give you a quick stat nugget in terms of, and this is from teamrankings.com. You guys can go out there and, and, and find the stat if you want to look up. Uh, the stat is NFL team QB sack percentage. So this is the percentage that your quarterback gets sacked. Uh, Chicago is dead last. Their quarterbacks are getting sacked on 12.6% of their pass plays. So to your point, he's under pressure. He's getting sacked and he's getting put on the ground. Let's let's flip it because this is a, this is an interesting game. This is a game of bad offenses against decent defenses. The Steelers, I think, are better than Chicago. One thing Chicago does very well even better than the Steelers. I know they've played an extra game, but their sack percentage is better than the Steelers. They're sacking quarterbacks on 7.75% of quarterback dropbacks, which is second in the league. And they have 21 sacks, which is second, or excuse me, fourth in the league, led by Quinn 5.5 and Mac, Robert Quinn and Mac at six sacks. I think in this game, again, the formula is, Najee left, Najee right, Najee up the middle, Najee, 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 Deontay Johnson, don't turn the football over, grind these games out, possibly squeeze out a turnover here or there, and win the ball game and get out of the stadium with a dub. Problem with that, Steelers don't run it well. Still 28th in the league in rushing, 86 yards per game. Still 22. Eighth in the league in terms of 3.7 yards per carry. So all of the things that they want to do, they still don't do very well on the offensive side of the football. Yards per attempt, 6.6, 27th in the in National Football League. So they're not explosive either. They are protecting Ben better, and I thought the pass protection was better in this game against Cleveland. How do you see it shaping up between Chicago's defense against the Steeler offense? I think if it, this is going to come down, I'm going to temper my enthusiasm this week for the, the potential return of Zach Banner. Um, I said he was going to play last week. He obviously did not. And I feel this may not necessarily be shared by everybody, but I feel the team's uh, best offensive line is going to be Chooks Okorafor at left tackle and Zach Banner at right tackle. Uh, the, the benefit that that creates, it, it puts probably a stronger right tackle on the field banner over a core four and it absolutely puts a stronger left tackle on the field which is really more of of not having poor dan moore on the field anymore uh he, he's getting crushed i mean it, it's bad he got destroyed last week uh khalil mack is not a a, a a cheap alternative knockoff to miles garrett khalil mack is a dude okay he, he's gonna do the same amount of damage to more that, that garrett did they don't have a, the kind of offense when when you are focusing on throwing the ball to your tight end a lot which I think they did kind of to some degree against Cleveland, and you need your running back involved in the, the passing game down the field, you need one-on-one -on -one blocking help on, on the edges. Uh, you need one-on-one -on -one blocking success on the edges without help, and you flat out didn't get that with Dan Moore. Can you ask a rookie fourth-round tackle to stop Miles Garrett? No, you, you really shouldn't. I don't think that's any different for Khalil Mack. Uh, I think you're going to see uh, matchup problems up and down with that, 
if um, it, 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 I'm saying this too, not knowing what level of shape Banner is in, I have no idea. Uh, it, it'd be his first game. I, I think Khalil Mack is in a great position to have a pretty destructive game on Monday night. And that can absolutely be a problem for the Steelers uh, that, that can cause them the game, cost them the game. I, I think Chicago as not good as they are, you know, the NFL Lance, one, one guy can win a game for you. Not literally, but if a Khalil Mack gets two and a half sacks and forces two fumbles it, in, it has a tip pass that leads to an interception. They're probably winning the game. And Mac is absolutely uh, able to do that. So the protection for the Steelers is going to be critical <clears throat> the way that it is every week. And we're not at a point that we can just count on the Steelers offensive line to have a great game in pass protection. I thought they did well uh, considering what they were up against uh, versus Cleveland. It could have been a lot worse and, and it has been this season a lot worse. Um, we'll, we'll see what level of preparation they're putting into all of this. Um, but I don't know. It, it's a tough matchup. I, I don't think this game is as cut and dry in favor of Pittsburgh as people think that it is. And we bring up the, the classic cliche of, of Tomlin losing to quote unquote inferior teams and all this. I don't know what the baseline is for an inferior team, but I don't think Pittsburgh is above it as much as people think that they are. Chicago isn't a good team either, but overall these are, these are teams in, in different states of their development, but neither of them are advanced in that regard. So I could see this game going either way. I really could. Thinking of the offense, Steelers offense against uh, the Bears defense, give me some stat lines. Um, how many yards does Najee have? Um, I'm going to assume that Deontay Johnson is going to be the leading wide receiver. But but we'll stick to it with the run game. What does the run game look like in terms of stats if the Steelers win this game? What's the yards per carry and how many yards do you think Najee needs to get or Najee gets in this game if it's a Steeler win? I can see Najee, who has, by the way, two runs of, of 20 yards or more on 128 carries. <laughs> That's not a not a good number. Um, it, I, 17, 18 carries for about 70 yards. That, that's really kind of what he's good for at this point um, in, in his development. He, he can add some in the passing game as well, but they're getting better running the ball. You're, you're happy to see that. Um, there are good things that are coming from that, but I, I think, too, Chicago is going to see how often uh, they're, they're utilizing him in the run game and how they need to, to stop that and force the Steelers into third and long situations because they can't throw deep. They, I'm not sure if, if it's a playmaker thing as much as a, a quarterback thing, but they're not, um, they're not going to be successful getting the ball deep down the field, in, in my opinion. They, well, it, maybe this is a game they can break out of that, but since Juju has gone down and they've had to utilize Claypool inside a little bit more, they haven't looked deep much. Um, I don't think they threw a deep pass, like 20-plus yards in the air. I don't think they threw one against Cleveland, did they? I, well, I don't think so either, but I know one thing for sure. They're not going to throw the ball to James Washington. So, Of course not. Why would they? That That's for sure. You know it's not <laughs> – no it's like you can put him on the field, but you know the ball's not going in that direction. <laughs> Let's not key on him. I mean, just like – Simply just not going to get the ball. That's it. I mean, if you, if you just threw the ball to James Washington, it might actually work because at this point I wouldn't cover him. I mean, I might put Damian Woody out there to cover him. I mean, that might be the only way he gets a pass or, or, or a target because, man, they don't utilize him. But it's prediction time. And since, let me just say it this way. When you score 18 points a game, 18.9, every game is close. 
And I love the optimism and enthusiasm that Steeler fans have after victories. After every victory, you know, hope springs eternal. So, you know, every Steeler fan thinks the Steelers are going to the Super Bowl. The Steelers are still scoring 18.9, and they're giving up 20. It's negative two. That's a sign that every game is going to be competitive. Every game is going to shift or turn on one play here or there, like it did against Cleveland, the Schobert cost fumble. That kind of shifted the entire game. With that being said, they're still facing a rookie quarterback who's struggling, who's inconsistent play to play. The one thing I know the Steelers can do is confuse Justin Fields on the defensive end and get to the quarterback. This is a game in which I think the Steelers, it'll be competitive. I think the Steelers' offense will look largely like it has the entire year, inconsistent. Uh, you know, drive to drive. It won't move the football well. It, it's going to look patchy like it has. It's going to look like your grandmama's old quilt that she made. Um, but I still think defensively they play well enough to get after Justin Fields and put a pause button on that run uh, offense of Chicago and force a couple of turnovers. With all that said, you're going to laugh at the score. So I'm saying they get after Justin Fields. They stop the run and cause turnovers, I still only think they score 23 points. I like 23-13 Steeler win on Monday night. I'm I'm probably very close to that as well. I I, I feel the same way as far as their offense. It, it feels like at some point they'll get the right combination of uh, their scheme of health and the opponent at the same time. It feels like this may be one of those kinds of games um, if they can hold Mac to a certain uh, uh, level of a lack of production and they really do want to get after their secondary, which is not particularly strong beyond one cornerback, uh, th- this is the kind of game I think they can get the ball downfield if they're willing to risk it. You know, that, that's playing into the teeth of what Chicago's really their primary strategy is going to be. They need to put Ben on the ground, and I, I think they know they're going to be able to stop the run by and large on what they have. So if, if it's a race to the quarterback, um, that's, that's largely the only thing they're really going to be able to do. And I, I think that's not a bad weapon, but if Pittsburgh plays into that, uh, you might be in trouble. They might have to kind of say punts are good in this game and, and play for defense. To me, it's going to result in something like 17 to nine, 17, 13, somewhere in there, a win for Pittsburgh. I just, I, I don't have confidence confidence that they're going to be as aggressive as uh, people think that they're, they should be. I think we're going to see a lower offensive performance, more on conservative play calling and, and strategy as opposed to uh, an inability. This isn't the kind of game where Ben's going to complete 40% of his passes. He'll complete 65% for five and a half yards and attempt somewhere in there. So you got the Steelers. I got them 23, 17. You're picking 17, nine. Let's go 17, nine. All right. All right. Listeners, if you're on a live chat, hit us with some predictions. We'll speak to your predictions. But I want to shift to the last segment of the show. And that's the yeah, I said it segment. You know, I got to rant. You know, if I'm getting up this early to do the show, I'm going to rant for y'all. So, yeah, I said it. I hate the color rush jerseys. (laughs) Yeah, I said it. I hate the color rush jerseys. And you know why I hate the color rush jerseys? Because the Steeler jerseys are classic. They're already awesome. 
You don't need an alternative jersey. You know how you know you know the teams that need an alternative jersey, the Browns. You know when you put brown and orange together, that's why you need alternative jerseys and color rushes. You know when you put brown and black together, you need alternative jerseys. Yes, like the Cincinnati Bungles. That's why you need alternative jerseys. You know why you need alternative jerseys and color rush jerseys? When you have uniform colors like the Jacksonville Jaguars. When you're the Pittsburgh Steelers, the only thing you need is the black and gold and block letter, or excuse me, block numbers. That's it. The jerseys are classic. You don't need the color rush. Yeah, I said it. I hate the color rush. Let me give you a two-for-one bang-bang on the yeah, I said it. Yeah, I said it. I hate watching Steeler games with Steeler fans at sports bars. You know why? Because every Steeler fan that I've ever met that I've watched a game with at a sports bar is the best coach in the world, the best offensive coordinator in the world, and the best defensive coordinator in the world as well. All I heard last Sunday was, run Najee. Run Najee. Just give Najee the ball. Run Najee again. Najee left. Najee right. The Steelers. As if they don't do that enough. (laughs) You think (laughs) run more than anybody else in the game. You you think this Steeler team can actually declare that they're gonna run it four straight times and get 10 yards? Nah, gonna happen. It's Naj gonna happen. So the two things that I hate, yeah, I said it. The color rush jerseys and watching Steeler games with Steeler fans at Steeler bars. Oh man, going to a Steeler bar and watching a football game is the absolute worst. I mean, it, it, it it's just the worst. I can't do it. Won't do it. Can't win with them. Can't. We need winners. We need people who want to win. So I'm trying to just do my fake uh, Mike Singletary. But again, please shoot me if I have to go to a Steeler bar to watch a game. We want volunteers, not hostages. And I was held hostage with a bunch of Steeler fans complaining. Oh, they got to run the ball four more times. Boop. They hit the slant, which, by the way, was a great play call when they hit when they hit the pick play to Deontay Johnson for 60, then the guy's mad. Why did they pass it there? They should have ran it to Najee for. Yeah. High percentage throw that doesn't go into the teeth of a defense that's fully prepared for you to run the ball because they know you're going to keep the clock running and they need to stop it. So it's the smart play call. And then they screwed up defensively. (laughs) They, they didn't have a guy underneath. Uh, to cut off that seam a little bit to, to keep him in the middle of the field, and the game was over. You know, he caught the ball, he made the move upfield, and it was over. You know what that is, Neil? That's called good coaching. And I just want to point this out before we get out of here. That's called good coaching. You know what good coaching is? Good coaching is taking advantage of a tendency of another team in a critical situation and executing. They assumed, rightly, that they were going to get that coverage at that spot at that down and distance with that formation. Took advantage of it. They ran something similar on third down when Johnson got got tackled. A a great play by the cornerback that, if anything, I think we talked about this on the show after the game. Um, Newsom was the guy that did it. If Johnson didn't beat him off of his break as badly as he did, Newsom's not in position to to roll over him 
and let his body trip him up. Uh, it, kind of a, an odd situation where that play would have worked. That's why they went back to it when they needed a play. Uh, Deontay Johnson is, is developing into a, an excellent pre-stem receiver, uh, which really means he's, he's selling something other than what he's going to do before he breaks. The stem is when a receiver uh, cuts in their route, whatever move they're going to put on. That's the stem. Deontay is very quick in and out of his breaks, which is a great thing for a receiver to have. Maybe the best thing for a receiver to have. Uh, the second best would be balance. So he's able to break and stay on balance and accelerate immediately after uh, he cuts. They get him the ball at that point. He's in an opportune situation to make a play. That's what they were trying to do. That's a low percent or <laughs> it's a high percentage throw, not as high as as running the ball, but they're not going to gain a yard, maybe one yard. Uh, by by rushing in that situation, they get a first down. The game's over. So that they they risked it, if you want to call it that. A high percentage throw to their best receiver, and he ended up making a play, and it it kind of put an exclamation point on everything. So yeah, I said it. Hopefully that was a classic. Yeah, I said it. Ran. It felt good while it was coming out. I was like, yes. Uh, well, pause. That sounded really funny as I said it. But yes, it did feel good as it was uh, as it was coming out. But Neil, before we get out, we get out of here and close the program. Anything? Well, there's nothing you want to tease. But is there anything that you want to say before we get out of here? I would say, in contrast to what you said, I like the color rush jerseys. While I am a fan of the '70s block uniforms, um, the the gray face masks, the the simplified scheme within their jerseys i think they have too much crap on it now I, i've never really been a fan of that uh more simple the better i appreciate that but at the same time give me the damn bumblebees man they they play with those things on they, it's an event when they're wearing those and don't even try to tell me that it's not everybody in the league is noticing them when they're wearing that the game <laughs> brings a certain hype when they're wearing it and it, it's they're a bunch of memorable Bumblebee games, and they only wore them a, a couple times, twice a year. You know, for toward the end, it was only once. That that's where they are now. I, I, it, it's they're they're memory evoking to me right now. I really enjoyed seeing them. I still enjoy seeing them out on the streets. I totally get why people hate them, but in my opinion, those are the best uniforms they have. I really wish they'd bring those back. You know, um, before we get out of here, on a last note on the uniforms. If anybody can send me a link of where I can find the 1995 uh, 75th anniversary alternative uh, Steeler uniform with the crest of Pittsburgh on the front, I love those. I want one of those. I have a Bumblebee. And here's a great thing about a Bumblebee, the Bumblebee jersey. It, it seems odd that it would be. If you're a fat guy like me, they're slimming. <laughs> so, yes, the Bumblebees are great. With the cocoa butter pants and the Love bumblebee it. socks. Love it. Yes, it is a great look. You know, anytime you can put cocoa butter on pants, <laughs> it's great. <laughs> and your pants can be uh, cocoa butter color. It's awesome. But with that, you know, there's for the record, too, really quickly, yes, they are retired. They're not going to wear those anymore. The color rush is from the league. Uh, teams get alternative jerseys, not they don't have to be throwbacks because some teams don't have throwback jerseys that are worth wearing. The team has a choice of what they want to do, and they get to wear those up to twice a year. Pittsburgh seems to be only breaking out the color rush once. Um, maybe they'll do it a second time. We'll, we'll see. But it definitely will not be the Bumblebees. It really seems like they want to sell the the, uh, the color rush more than anything now. 
I would love the all white ones, the all white uniforms that they wore back in the day too. I'd go for those too. Go all white with the color rush. But you know, hey, I'm not a color rush fan. Yeah, I said it. Double H is right. There were a ton of ugly uniforms that 75th season. By the way, that Arizona Cardinal game where the Steelers played the Arizona Cardinals with that color, with that alternative 75 jersey, that was one of the hardest hitting football games I've ever seen in my life. Uh, Avoid Lloyd was absolutely on a mission, killing people. But let's go ahead and get out of here. Everybody who hopped on the program, thank you. Please like and subscribe to the show. Stay safe on your commutes. Hopefully you're listening to us, you know, in your morning commute. Please consume us with some coffee, a beignet or a muffin or any of that stuff. We go down easy. We love to do the show. We're going to keep bringing you fantastic programming. I'm going to already say it and tell you, Neil will not be on the show on Monday night. That is not happening because it will be probably about 2 a.m. by the time the game we'll, goes off. We'll see. We'll see. Monday night isn't as bad because I don't have to work that much. I mean, Sunday night is bad because I'm up at 6 doing stuff up until kickoff, and then after it, it it's more out of concern for you guys. You don't want to see me at that point of the night. It, oh, we it's, do want to see Neil at night. Oh, we do want to see Neil. At Neil night. after dark is even uglier than he is in the morning. So <laughs> it, it, it's it's a it, usually a very rough day. It's not like I'm plastered drunk or anything. It, it's just it, it's a really really long day. But uh, Monday night is is doable because I don't have as much to do um, on Mondays as, as compared to Sunday. So. I can probably hop on uh, Monday after the game. It'll be super late, and you guys are going to be scared of me, but um, I'm okay with it if you are. But that, man, we're going to go ahead and get out of here. Yes, I am going to hit you up because I do want to see Neil after dark. That'll be great. That'll be a segment, Neil after dark. Let you just <laughs> just open the floor up and let you uh, 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 stomp on the couch like Rick James and Dave Chappelle. Uh, let you just, just, just get busy. Uh, but with that, we're going to go ahead and conclude the show. And as always, tune in, in, excuse me, tell a friend and subscribe. Thank you guys for uh, hopping on the program. Go Steelers.